Today's scripture reading is uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. A man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they they used they used to set, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms, but Peter, along, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us, and began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold. What I do, I have given to you. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, walk. And he seized him by the right hand. He raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upward and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising, and they were talking, taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And Christophe as well. So many lyrics in that song uh, can touch the emotions. One part of that song you sang... Uh, talked about God chasing down uh, your heart through all, what was it? All your failure and pride. And I thought that's exactly what God did to me. He chased me down through all my failure and pride. Wonderful words. We are going to be in Acts 3, 1 through 10, those words that Steve has just read for us. The title and the focus of this message is just this simple thing Jesus, name above all names. Jesus, the name above all names. Before I go any farther, let me let me open in a word of prayer. I feel myself starting to race off without doing that. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the time that we've enjoyed this morning. Thank you for the Sunday school hour. Thank you for each one that's here. Bless those that weren't able to be here today, Father. Bless our time in your word. Keep me from say, saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed in our response to it. Open my mouth that I might proclaim your praises in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. What's in a name? What is in a name? By what names have you been known? Or are you known? Currently, at the place I work, there are three Dans. There is Tall, skinny Dan, that's not me. Then there's just regular Dan. And then there's Canadian Dan. I've been asked, am I from Canada? Because I've got a little bit of a twang from the Upper Peninsula that I inherited from living there for a while. But Canadian Dan, he's full-on Canadian. So I'm pretend Canadian Dan or something. I don't know what I am now. But we're known by different names, aren't we? You're known by your name. And when people mention you by name, they have a picture in mind. Some of you are known by father or mother or uncle or aunt or son or daughter or a combination of these. Employer, employee, teacher, doctor, worker, laborer. Those names, uh, other names we're known by or may, might, might be nicknames. I thought about asking, are there nicknames? 
that you're known by. And Ron, I'm going to put you and Wanda on the spot because I've because you did in Sunday school to me, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not for that reason. But I didn't ask you in advance, but I think it's okay. Um, every once in a while, Cindy and I will goof up Ron and Wanda's name and we'll find ourselves calling them Juan and Rhonda. And I noticed a few weeks back that Ron called Wanda Juan. <laughs> and I thought, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> Anyhow, there are nicknames we're known by. Hey, I mean, grandpas are good at giving nicknames. My grandfather gave us guys some nicknames. My dad gave me a nickname. But I thought about asking you, and I'm just going to do it. Are there nicknames you were known by growing up? Positive ones, not negative ones. There's probably negative ones maybe that we inherited. Give me one. You got a nickname, somebody? Ricky Rue. That's you? Oh, Ricky Rue. You call Ricky, Ricky Rue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I called Cindy because I seen a picture of her when she was about three or four years old. And uh, she's wearing this coat, and she just looks adorable. And I started calling her little Cindy Luhu, like from the Dr. Seuss character. I found out that her sisters called her, after I started calling her that, I found her sisters called her that when she was growing up too. It described her. It was described. Ricky Roo. Ricky Ruhu. Um, and, and names like that. I was, I was the biggest baby my mom had. Maybe I still am. I don't know. But, I mean, literally, I was the biggest, right? And so, and, and I'm told that I was kind of strong when I was a baby. I lifted my head up when I was born, right? So my dad called me moose or bull moose or something like that you know but but those those names kind of describe our nature a little bit especially if we get you know older and adults start giving us nicknames we're known by those things it, it's a picture of our nature but jesus has a name that is above every every name a name above every name a name that is greater even than the names of the angels a name greater than what was given to the angels, a name above all names. In these 10 verses that Steve just read for us, we're looking at an example of something that Luke recorded for us in Acts 2.43. Would you look back there just briefly? Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. This is one of them, right? This is a wonder or a sign to confirm the message that Steve just read for us. There's this man, and he's born lame. He's crippled. He's born that way, but he's healed. He's miraculously healed. There is this wonder or this sign that is performed, this miracle that is performed to confirm the message that's that's been presented. And this is an event that's going to lead to Peter's second sermon, as it's recorded in the book of Acts anyhow, and a sermon that's going to lead to a jail cell it's going to lead to a jail cell for Peter and John. That's where it's heading. Before we're out of Acts chapter 4, we're going to find Peter and John in jail. This event leads to that. The favor of all the people that we read about just last week in verse 47 of chapter 2 says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. That favor is going to begin to wane. It's going to begin to go away and dissipate. Now, there are a few names mentioned in these ten verses. There are names of people and names of places. And there's many names given in the Bible, but Jesus has a name that is above all names because He is Lord. Hey? He is Lord. 
It is the name of Jesus that is the prominent theme in these next two chapters. His name is the prominent theme of chapter 3 and 4. The name of Jesus. I've titled, I don't have points if you're a note taker, it's just a bunch of lines in front of you there. There's basically six points to this message and it's just kind of a verse or two verses at a time. (coughs) And I found myself titling these verses or portions of verses as almost they were individual little sermonettes. That's, that's how I came to this text today. And the first one of them I, I got from verse 1, and, and the title of verse 1 I put this way, Brothers in Christ, Brothers in Christ heading to prayer. That's how I termed it, verse 1. Let's read that again. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Brothers in Christ heading to prayer. There are two names given there, two people. They're Peter and John. We are familiar with these two guys, right? They are apostles. They are among the very first disciples of our Lord. They are prominent. They are all over the place in the Gospels. Uh, Peter has been given this name, Peter, by Jesus. In John 1.42, he's given the Aramaic version of Peter, the name Cephas. And, and that we know him as Peter. And then Jesus tells him his name again when, when Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, and I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock or stone. He was given the name Simon by his parents. Simon means he has heard. That's that's what that name means. He has heard. John is given his name by his parents. The name John, biblical meaning of the name John is Jehovah has been gracious. What a name for a baby, eh? Jehovah has been gracious. But he's also known, John is also known, here's a nickname, here's one that maybe most guys would want, as one of the sons of thunder. I want to be the son of thunder. That sounds like a good name for a grandpa to give a grandson, doesn't it? Jesus gives James and John this name, the sons of thunder. What does John call himself? He gives himself a name, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself. There's something else that could be said to these two guys. I suppose you could say they have very different personalities. In some of the commentaries I read, people go into great detail about that, and that might be true, and it, it most likely is. Every, everyone has a little bit different personality, and these guys, they do. But they're going to the temple together, and uh, as they're doing that, it occurred to me that these guys really know each other. They are of different personality, but they're not enemies in any way. They own a business together. They could have called each other business associates. Associates. The Bible calls them partners in business together. And they were friends. They were friends. So they were comfortable and accustomed to doing things together to the extent that when Peter is being restored by Jesus, he turns to John and says, what about him? And as I was preparing this message, it got me to think about how close these guys are. And this question is about John is has to be in part because John's his friend. Start flipping around on me again, Sonny. What, what about him is a question that, for me at least, points to the friendship that Peter and John share. What about him? 
Peter wants to know about his friend. But now this relationship has, is on a greater plane, isn't it? I've got a brother. I don't think he'll mind me saying his name. I've got more than one brother. But this particular brother, Mike, him and I did a lot of things growing up together. We actually owned a business together when we were young adults. And uh, we'd go fishing together way late into the night. We were both dairy farmers at the same time. We worked for other farmers. We did a lot of things together, Mike and I did. I got saved before Mike did. I tried sharing. He was the first person I tried sharing the gospel with. I tried sharing the gospel with him. The moment I got saved, actually, I ran out to my barn and started calling him. Didn't go very well. But my brother Mike got saved one day. And he called me just before Christmas. This thing is driving me crazy. He called me just before Christmas, Mike did. <laughs> Josh, I'm going to can this, and I'm going to go to this. This is going to be distracting. You got me on there, Josh? Thank you. He called me just before Christmas to tell me that he had trusted Christ. What a joy for me and for him. Our relationship went from one plane way beyond anything I could have asked or hoped for or even foreseen. It just instantly went to this new place. That's where Peter and John are. They have this relationship. They are brothers in Christ on their way to the house of prayer. That's where they're at. They have this relationship that's on this plane. These are two people mentioned there. What is their purpose? They're going there. It's the time of prayer. I have to believe they're going there to pray. Both of these men now bear the name of Jesus and they're going up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour at 3 p.m. At that time, just maybe two months or a little longer prior to that, Jesus uttered these words. It is finished. He breathed his last and the veil was rent in two. I got to believe these guys think of that when they're going to the, to the temple to pray. I got to believe all these events are fresh on their mind. Where's the place they're going to? The place is the temple. The place that bears His name. In Jeremiah 7.11, the people really aren't doing what they ought to be doing. And God is rebuking them for that. And He says, Then you come to Me and stand before Me in this house, which is called by My name. You do those things, and then you come before Me in this house, which is called by my name. In Matthew 21.13, Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And here are these two guys, brothers in Christ, going to this place of prayer. Brothers in Christ. What a name, eh? What a name. Heading to the house of the Lord to pray. Well, that's what I titled the first verse, Brothers in Christ Heading to Prayer. The second verse, I titled it this way. hope this is a blessing to you. It helped me think through this a little bit. Verse 2, the broken man and the beautiful gate. The broken man and the beautiful gate. A contrast of two, in air quotes here, of two permanent fixtures. This is a contrast of two permanent fixtures, a broken man and a beautiful gate. 
First, the broken man. A man who may as well be anyone, because we're not given him his, we're not given his name. We'll know him someday, but we're not given his name now. Or you might say, a man who may as well be any one of us, because he's not given a name. He's called a man, also known as a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. So we know that he's lame. It's another way that he's known. It's not a name for him, but it's how he's known. Crippled from birth. As is often the case even today, many people would have only known him as that guy who they see every day. They know his face. They know his frame, but they don't know his name. They can pick him out. If he's being talked about, you you would say, oh, that guy that sits there. They know him. We're going to find that out as, the, as this, this text runs on. They know him very well. But they may not know his name. But he's known as this man that was lame or crippled from birth. He's known to be a son Crippled from birth means he had a mom, right? Everyone comes from somewhere. Some mother's son who came into the world, mom and dad's pride and joy, comes out of the womb, and mom and dad are checking out this little guy just like you always do with a little guy or girl. Ten fingers, ten toes, but there's a problem with his feet and his ankles. i got to believe mom and dad loved this little guy. He made it to 40 years old. They took care of him. They might be off the scene now, not able to take care of him. That's why he's begging for alms. But his feet don't get any better. He grows up this way. Forty years, no change. Forty years. Mom and dad begin to realize as he's growing up, he's going to grow up, and after we're gone, this is going to be his lot. He is going to be a beggar. Verse 2 And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple which is called Beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. So he was known as this man, known as this man who was lame. His mom and dad were probably known by different folks. He was known as a beggar. He also must have been known as a friend of someone because someone is carrying him there every day. There are those that bring him there every day. In fact, as I looked at this, in the, in the New American Standard, it reads this way. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along. It almost seems to me that the interaction that Peter and John have with him takes place as this man is being carried to his spot. Not before he's set down. But he must be set down at one point because Peter lifts him up from the ground. Well, that's the picture of the broken man we have. A broken man and a beautiful gate. The gate called Beautiful. What a name for a place. I'm this guy, that's what I'm saying. Take me to the temple and set me down at the beautiful gate. Take me to the temple and set me down at the beautiful gate. By all accounts, in my study of this, this was a very massive and very beautiful Gate. It was somewhere between 45 and 70 feet high. I don't know exactly how high because there's different records of this. And over 22 feet wide, and it was covered in something called Corinthian brass. I'm picturing the shiny brass doors of this door, really. They call it a gate. 
And I think it's also said that it was inlaid, said to be inlaid with gold and silver. This was a beautiful gate, something beautiful to behold. Very ornate. It either led out of the temple from the court of the Gentiles or it separated the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles from the court of of Israel from within the temple. It's hard to discern that. But it's at this spot this man would beg for his daily needs. He would beg for his daily needs. Put these two images together and what do you have? A picture of a broken man just outside the gate called Beautiful. And it's through this gate that Peter and John are heading. But they're going to stop first and they're going to be taking someone through this gate with them in just a few minutes. And it's going to be this guy. I don't know. I don't see anyone else talking about it, but in this beautiful gate, I see a picture of Christ. I see a picture of Jesus. John 10.9, he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will be saved. Verse 3, I titled this verse, A Broken Man and His Request. A Broken Man and His Request. This is a daily routine for him. Look at it again, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. This is his daily routine and his usual request. This is not out of the ordinary for him. This has been his life for some time. His usual request, or as you, I'm, I'm trying to get inside his state of mind a little bit, and I got to thinking if if you could do that, maybe he'd be thinking, oh, if I could just get through this day. If I could just get through this day. Ron mentioned this morning in sun, or when he led us in song the importance of living day by day. That's very important. In fact, just last week, we, we saw in verse uh, 46 and 47 of chapter 2, day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple. Day by day, day by day, day by day. And in verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number, day by day. I think this guy was living day by day. Day by day. While all this is going on, while these Christians are coming in and out of the temple day by day, continuing in one mind and breaking bread from house to house and sharing their meals together and all this gladness and all this joy, and the Lord is adding to their numbers, this man has been watching this unfold. He's been there every day. He's been watching these Christians come in and out of that temple. He's been hearing conversations about Jesus. He may have heard that first sermon preached that Peter preached. When you sit still in one place, all of us have done this, right? If you go hunting, that's what you're that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sit still in one place. You begin to notice things and hear things. You can notice things more clearly. You can think through things more clearly. Things get really still, even if things around you are kind of busy. But this is his usual request. His request is to maintain the status quo. That's his request, to maintain the status quo. 
to remain in his current state. After 40 years, what else would he expect? What else could be expected after 40 years other than to maintain the status quo? I was born with this malady. I will die with this malady. Today is just another day of living the life I have grown accustomed to. I've heard it said that people are kind of funny. They can get accustomed to anything. And we can. We can get accustomed to anything. That's why abused children still love their parents. That's why people who are taken hostage end up having this connection to their hostage takers and vice versa. But today for him would just be another day of living the life he'd grown accustomed to. This is often the case, whether it's broken feet or broken homes whether it's broken ankles or broken hearts, physically crippled from birth or spiritually crippled by sin, four years or 40 years, we become accustomed. We become accustomed. The greater healing for this man goes beyond the physical. And I just want to, as a spoiler now for next week, just look at Acts 3.16. Because when this man reaches out and takes the hand of Peter, he's not just receiving the physical healing. Look what Peter says about this in Acts 3.16. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the faith, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. He placed his faith in Christ when he reached out his hand to be healed. He comes to faith. He comes through faith in His name and comes to faith and through faith in His name. Jesus is the name above all names. He trusts in that name. That's what I'm trying to say. So verse 3, a a broken man and his request. Verse 4, a picture of when God steps into a person's life. Verse 4, I see, is a picture of when God steps into a person's life. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. Direct and personal and intense interest or contact is made. Fixed his gaze. Look at us. This is direct and personal contact. Peter and John are the motive contact. They are apostles given these gifts of healing to confirm the message that they have to give. It is the message of a Savior and of salvation. That's the main thing. These men, guided by the Holy Spirit, make contact with this man. And God still uses His people, guided by the Holy Spirit, to bring His message to people in need today. He still does that. I see this as a picture of when God steps into a person's life and He does it through His people. And here it's it's His apostles, Peter and John. It's, It's direct, it's personal, and it's an intense interest. Fixed His gaze on Him and said, look at us. This beggar doesn't want to do that. He alms, alms, alms. There's a bit of shame in doing that. But he's gonna he's gonna look their way in verse five. Verse five through eight, I've titled this way, the givers and the receiver. Or in this way, 
empty hands, empty pockets, fullness in Christ. I don't want to lose you guys here. I don't want you falling asleep on me. Do you know the Rocky and Bullwinkle show? <laughs> in Rocky and Bullwinkle, they would have a title for something, and then they would say, it's this title or it's this title. That's what I thought of when I was when I, when I wrote this down. The givers and the receivers or empty hands, empty pockets, and fullness in Christ. That's verses 5 through 8. That's how I see them. You can almost picture this man with his hand extended. A broken man and the limit of his expectations are this ex- is this ex- the extension of his hand. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I can almost see his hand reaching out as he's looking toward them. He's expecting alms. You can almost picture, or I can almost picture anyhow, Peter and John opening up their pockets like this and nothing but dust coming out. (laughs) Or turning over their money bag, just sand coming out. I've had wallets like that, (laughs) full of sand. But it's going to be the authority of his name they're going to proclaim, and they're going to proclaim it with authority. They're going to do that. No silver and no gold, but what they have to give will far exceed anything like that. And what they have to give, and what they give is what they themselves freely had received. Verse 6, But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. That's authority, eh? The authority of Christ's name and apostolic authority just to reach out your hand and say, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. That is authority. And it doesn't stop there. Because they grab hold, verse 7, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. It's not loose change that falls into this beggar's hand, but it's the hand of the Apostle Peter. And the the immediate nature of this, look what it says in verse 7. He raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. For me, this picture is what happens when someone is saved. In an instant, there might have been a whole bunch of stuff that led up to it, This man sat there for 40 years. And then there's there's this man, Jesus, that's been coming in and out of the temple. It's probable that Jesus walked past this guy while he was still on earth. And this man watched Jesus do that. And he heard parts of or portions of or maybe all of Peter's first sermon there. And he heard all the people talking about what was going on. And he saw people coming in, changed lives. People with new life in Christ. And he thought, what is that all about? There might have been a whole bunch of stuff that led up to that moment, but this moment of decision comes. And he stretches out his hand. And when Peter grabs his hand, he grabs Peter's hand back. He believes that in the name of Jesus, this apostle Peter is able to perform what it is he's saying to do. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And he grabs hold. 
Jesus is the giver. We need only to receive by faith, and the change is immediate. Spiritually speaking now, we're not apostles. We're not going around having healing ministries. They didn't do that. There were other crippled people there that day. They didn't go around healing all of them. In verse 7 also, it seems like Luke's voice as a doctor comes in here talking about his ankles and his feet were strengthened immediately. I'm thinking Luke must have been asking details about this to whoever it was he's getting this information from. And then the man's immediate direction in verse 8, with a leap, he stood up. He stood upright, rather, and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. His immediate direction was toward the things of the Lord, with the people of the Lord, with his new brothers in Christ. He stood upright with a leap. He felt new life in his body, and he began to walk. He walks into the temple with them, leaping and praising God. Leaping and praising God. What have we been given new life for? If not that, right? <laughs> if not that, leaping and praising God. Okay, verses 9 and 10. I've titled these The Undeniable Evidence. I had it written this way first. The Undeniable Evidence of a Changed Life. And I thought, that, that doesn't do. It's not the undeniable evidence of a changed life. His life wasn't changed. He was given new life in Christ. The undeniable evidence of new life in His name. Jesus, name above all names. There's power in His name. There's power in His name. This grabs the attention of all who knew Him. Verse 9, And all the people saw Him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of Him as being the one who used to sit at the the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What is he seen doing? He's seen leaping and praising God. Where is he seen doing it? Inside the temple. What gate do you suppose he entered through? He entered through that gate called beautiful. Where does he have access to? I got to thinking about that. As a believer into the most holy of holies. He has access. They wouldn't have let him in the holy of holies in the temple, but the real holy of holies he has access to. Access to God. The veil was rent in two. It's through Jesus now that we have access and that he had access. And look who it says saw this thing. All the people. When Jesus gives newness of life, it's a noticeable thing. Look what they take note of. It's this man they know that we looked at in verse 16 of chapter 3 just a minute ago. They took note of who he was, where he sat, and what he used to do in verse 10. They were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. They took note of who he was, where he used to sit, and what he used to do. When I first got saved, my life changed. And a man that I worked with prior to getting saved for many years, as I was trying to witness to someone else, was giving me some guff, and through the circumstances of that, he started asking me, what happened to you? What happened to you, Dan? Kind of in an argumentative tone. What happened to you? 
you used to, and you used to, and you used to. What happened to you? And I said, well, if you really want to know, I'll tell you. And God gave me an opportunity to tell that man what happened to me. Praise God for that. But when I told him, what I told him was all about Jesus, right? That's what I had to tell him. And these people recognize this is the man that used to this and used to that and used to that. And now he's in the temple and he's leaping and he's praising God. He's a new creation in Christ. What I'm trying to say to you is today, this same Jesus, Jesus who has the name that is above every name, is the same Jesus that healed this man this many years ago. He's the same Jesus that saved me. It's the same Jesus. Same Jesus. He's the one who has come through the womb of the virgin, was that babe in a manger, born king and savior and lord, lived a sinless life, died in the place of sinners, of whom we are all born with the same malady. We might not have lame feet and ankles, but we have the same malady that we need healing from. The same malady. It's this Jesus that was buried and rose again on the third day, never to die again, ascended to glory, the glory he had with the Father before the world was. He ascended in a physical body, a resurrected body. This Jesus, Peter speaks of in Acts 2.36 when he says, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ is coming again someday. Jesus has a name above every name. We're going to see as this, this unfolds that Peter and John don't take credit for this, and you're probably already aware of that. They say it's Jesus that has done this, and it's Jesus that told them that all authority had been given to him, so they they were to go, and they're going. It's this Jesus that said to the Pharisees, I tell you the truth, that I tell you, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. In Matthew 12, 6, one greater than the temple. It doesn't matter the pattern of your life up to this point. If it's been four years or 40, it doesn't matter the pattern. It can become just those things you used to do. Now, I could make the wrong assumption and pretend that I know that everyone in this room is saved and I am intentionally not doing that. I don't know if you are or not with 100% certainty, but I'm saying to you, it could have been the same pattern of your life for four months, four years, or 40 years, but all those things can become the things that you used to be and used to do. You can have newness of life in Christ Jesus. And all the things you've heard about Jesus up to this point could have just brought you to this point where you realize that's the Jesus I need. That's the Savior I need. And I'm not an apostle. I can't reach out my hand and heal your feet and lift you up. But I can tell you this message and you can reach out your hand figuratively in faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. He died for you. He paid for your sins. The malady that we have isn't lame feet and lame ankles. It's far worse. It's far worse than that. It's a disease. It's infectious. It's called sin. And we can see it 
Look, I don't have to convince you of that. We can see it everywhere. We can see it in our hearts. It enters our minds. It's a part of our thoughts sometimes. We can see it when we interact with people. We can see it when people interact with each other. It's everywhere. It's infectious. But in Jesus, there's the cure, right? There's the cure. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This man, whose name we are not given, has a name that Jesus know, has a name, and Jesus knows him completely. This man, whose name we're not given, does have a name, and Jesus knows him completely. He knows each one of us completely. He knows whether or not you've trusted him as Savior. He knows, and you know. This man was known by other names after this day. This man came to be known by other names after this day. He was, imagine what people, if they were going to refer to him, people that only casually knew him and walked past him day after day, imagine how they referred to him. Oh, that guy with the purple mat? The lame guy with the purple mat and the fuzzy hat? How do they refer to him? Do you know how he's referred to now? A follower of Christ. A disciple. After this day, from this moment on, a disciple. Saint. Saint. A brother in Christ. Peter and John could have introduced him. I want to introduce you to our new brother in Christ. Oh, it's that guy? Yeah. Him. Believer. He would be known by that name. Joint heir. Child of God's part of the body of the church, a new creation in Christ, priest, priest. This blows me away. In Leviticus 21, 17-18, we find out that anyone who is lame would be excluded from the service in the temple, right? I don't know if this man was from the tribe of Levi. I'm thinking maybe not. I, I wouldn't know that. But if he was, he would not be able to perform the service in the temple because he was lame in his feet. But now he would be a priest, a nation, a kingdom of priests. The lame beggar who became a priest. Redeemed, he would be known by that name. Forgiven, holy. Christian, he would come to be known by that name. Christian. What does Peter say? I forget where it is, but Peter says, if you suffer for being a Christian, praise God that you bear that name. What name is he talking about? The name that is above every name. The name of Jesus in which there is all authority. All authority. I just want to close with a couple of thoughts. Wouldn't it be great to meet this guy someday? Wouldn't it be great to meet this guy and talk to him about what this day was like? What that temple gate looked like? How tall was that gate anyway? Was it 45 feet or 70 feet tall? Where was it placed? And to ask him what it was like the day he put his faith in Christ. To ask him what that was like when he reached out his hand and Peter took his hand and he knew what he was doing. Peter states it in verse 16, and on the basis of faith in his name. we got to close here again. You are not this man, but you have a malady of your own and it's sin. And I'm not an apostle, 
But the message is clear. You can trust Jesus right here and now. Ignoring the crowd (laughs) and receiving Christ as Lord. You won't regret it. This man didn't. Let's close with a word of prayer. We've got communion today. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You for uh, the testimony of this man's faith in Christ that we have through Luke and through whoever it was that shared it with him. The details of which we'll have to find out, the greater details we'll have to find out at another time, Father. But thank You for the details that we do have. And thank You for what proceeds from this, Lord. Father, I do pray if there's one here today that has yet to trust Christ, they've been around the things of the Lord, they've heard about the Lord, but they truly have not trusted Christ for themselves. Maybe today would be that day they would reach out their hand in faith and trust Jesus. Thank you for your word again. In Jesus' name, amen.